Hello again, and welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi, and the reason I do this podcast is because I was one mile from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened. This program is my citizen activist response in the wake of Fukushima to get the word out about the nuclear industry, the nuclear world, and what we can do to turn it around. I'm here to lend my voice to the growing anti-nuclear movement worldwide. Now, for the second time, this program, instead of being live, is pre-recorded. This is so I may participate in the second set of hearings that are taking place in San Clemente, California, about the San Onofre nuclear reactors. I will have more on this later on in the podcast, and some of the news is quite exciting. Today is Tuesday, October 11, 2011, day 214 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11, 2011. Here is the latest nuclear news. TEPCO Electric Power Company, TEPCO, the operators of the crisis-hit Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant, said this past Saturday that it has started to discharge hydrogen with high concentration levels from a pipe connected to a reactor containment vessel at the plant. This is to prevent an explosion. The utility said it has injected nitrogen into the pipe for the number one reactor vessel to eject hydrogen found there with high density of more than 60%. The hydrogen has been generated by radiation that dissolved water. Note, this doesn't mean that it turned the water into steam. It meant it separated the molecules of hydrogen from oxygen. When you have a closed environment that has high concentrations of hydrogen with high concentrations of oxygen, all it takes is a single spark for it to go boom. So the utility plans to check on the levels of hydrogen in the pipes at the plant's number two and three reactors as well. These were also damaged, and I think them checking those pipes is a real good idea. Now, high dosage of cesium have been found in the soil outside of the Fukushima no-go zone. Up to 307 becquerels of cesium per kilogram of soil was detected in the September 14 survey. This is triple that of the benchmark above which the government requires tainted mud and soil to be sealed by concrete. The readings are comparable to the high levels in special regulated zones where evacuation was required after the 1986 Chernobyl accident. This according to the citizens group Citizens Against Fukushima Aging Nuclear Power Plants. A professor at Kobe University said that concrete and asphalt cannot be decontaminated. It must be completely removed. So that's what's being faced outside of the no-go zone in Fukushima. Now the latest news. This is a lot of radiation news this week, but I wanted to catch you up on what the situation is in Japan. Uh, Tokyo tap water is in crisis. The Okatama area, where Tokyo tap water comes from, is as dangerous as the contaminated area in Chernobyl. According to the data, which is printed with this report, between 100,000 and 300,000 becquerels per kilogram was measured in the Okatama area. Now, according to the Tokyo Health Service Bureau, quote, it is not harmful in the short term, but we will make sure to keep monitoring. Of course, as listeners to this program know, according to the Physicians for Social Responsibility and the reports upon which they base this evaluation, 
no level of radiation is safe for human health. Zero, zip, none. Now, again, in Japan, the uh, actual fallout measured by the Education, Cultural, Sports, Science, and Technology Ministry, um, they admitted that they have made a mistake on the report about fallout in rain from June 6th to August 4th in Fukushima. And this is where it was recorded that the actual fallout was 10 times more than reported. Oops! But, of course, the stance of the uh, Japanese government is that uh, citizens having Geiger counters should not have them because the readings they take from those units are, quote-unquote, inaccurate. But nobody's ever shown them to be so inaccurate as to be 10 times off what was actually reported. So maybe the Ministry of Education, Culture, Science, Sports, and Technology might want to get some Geiger counters from some of those citizen activists. Meanwhile, a week after the nuclear disaster, disaster ministry lifted the government's evacuation recommendation for Hirono, they took the evacuation down, area down to 20 kilometers from the 80 kilometers where it was. Uh, they lifted the evacuation orders for Hirono and three other towns. But no one is returning. The area where the government has lifted the advisory was one of the three evacuation zones around the plant. The 20-kilometer radius around Fukushima Daiichi remains a no-go zone for the foreseeable future, as does a heavily contaminated corridor northwest of the plant that was later added to the mandatory evacuation zone. Once home to more than 100,000 people, the areas are expected to be uninhabitable for upwards of two decades. But immediately outside this area, I mean, they draw a line in the sand. On one line, you, one side of it, it's you can't go back for 20 years. The other one is, sure, go back. Enjoy yourself. But the citizens are not taking that uh, to heart. Uh, one middle-aged woman who briefly visited Hirono this week uh, said, I don't plan to come back ever. She was there to retrieve belongings from the two-story home that she and her family fled on March 12th the day after the tsunami that set in motion the nuclear disaster. She said, I will never feel safe here. I will never feel secure, which sounds pretty logical and pretty commonsensical. Hirono's mayor, Motohoshi Yamada, is among those staying away for now. In his estimation, the order from Tokyo, which was announced by the new prime minister, Yoshihiko Noda, was made perhaps 15 months too early. Quote, the government's figures on radiation are not that trustworthy, as we've seen in a previous story. They are not precise. My goal is to bring the radiation levels back down to what they were before March 11, before allowing anybody back into the city. He said this from his administration's temporary headquarters in the city of Iwake, which is another 25 kilometers south of Hirono and away from Fukushima Daiichi. He said he wouldn't recommend his constituents return to Hirono until the town's upper crust of contaminated earth and pavement is scraped away, a cleanup that is expected to take until December of 2012, if by then. Now, in terms of health, thyroid gland irregularities have been found in young evacuees from Fukushima. 
hormonal and other regularities were detected in the thyroid glands of 10 out of only 130 children who had been evacuated from, from Fukushima Prefecture and were tested. This according to a Nagano Prefecture-based charity dedicated to aid for the victims of the 1986 Chernobyl nuclear accident. So they were focused on nuclear issues even before Fukushima happened. Now, the results of the study, out of the 10 children, one child was found to have lower than normal thyroid hormone level. Seven had thyroid stimulation hormone levels higher than the norm, so either higher or lower. Two were diagnosed with slightly high blood concentrations of a protein called thyroglobulin, possibly caused by damage to the thyroid glands. In terms of point of origin, six of these children were from outside of the evacuation zone, Three had lived within the 20-kilometer no-go zone, and one lived in the 30-kilometer zone. So that's uh, 10 out of 130. Why aren't they testing all the children? Good question. Meanwhile, in Tokyo, Chiba, and Kanagawa, Japan, they do all these fun-filled activities to enjoy and celebrate autumn. They're doing them right now just like they did last year and the year before. Radioactive fallout or not. At this point, although an increasing number of parents are simply horrified at the continuation of these outdoor activities, the majority seem quite happily following whatever the school teachers say. Worse, they are accusing the concerned parents of being monster parent, quote-unquote. There's a Japanese word for that, uh, katakana. They're accusing these parents of being troublemakers. The majority say they are more worried about their children's prospect of getting into a prestigious school to which I can only answer, your children should only live so long. And how does a country, how do people in a country save face if you're not saving lives? Um, more unconscionable behavior by uh, Japanese officials. Now, according to Fukushima Diary, which is a very powerful um, uh, anecdotal-based site that I go to. And I say anecdotal, not as a negative or a pejorative, but as something where it's coming directly from people who are having an experience and wish to report. So uh, Fukushima Diary is by Mochizuki, and uh, a number of tweets came from a Fukushima worker we have cited before who signs only happy 20790. And uh, happy says, today I noticed a thing around the plant. On the way, meaning the Fukushima Daiichi plant, because he works there. On the way to the fourth reactor, a pine tree was dead. Pine doesn't wither in autumn. And another tweet of his, back in April, one of my fellowers, I guess he means fellow workers, asked me if any trees are dead and turned to be brown around the plants. I checked the tree at that time and it was green, at least at that time. I don't know when it went dead. It's not the whole tree, but a part of it. Well, it's likely to be radiation. And from a separate post from another tweet, I often see dead street plants around in Yokohama and Tokyo. Is it benign neglect in the fact that people haven't been there to perhaps water the plants? Or is it a result of radiation? Good question. Also on the, uh, the Fukushima Diary, there is one of the most frightening posts that I have seen, which is pictures of mutated plants, vegetables, and fruit uh, from around the Fukushima area. 
and I suggest you go there and just see what genetic mutation looks like in the first generation of plants following Fukushima. Now, what is the United States' response to all of this radiational news from Japan? Well, the United States has eased its advice for travelers to the environs of the nuclear plant. The State Department this past Friday advised U.S. citizens to avoid going within 20 kilometers of the Fukushima Daiichi plant, which is in line with Japan's own no-go zone. But the previous U.S. travel alert of July 19, where it was recommended that people stay at least 80 kilometers or 50 miles away, um, has been rescinded. The latest announcement said Americans staying for more than a year within that area should consult with local authorities on radiation levels. But if they're staying less than a year, well, sure, come on down. You can be anywhere from 20.1 kilometers from Fukushima Daiichi on out. Not a problem, according to the U.S. This qualifies for the Numbnuts Award of the Week. It just makes no sense from any human perspective. Switching more completely to the United States, um, AP reports that uh, there have been four generator failures at U.S. nuclear plants this year. These um, generators are what power the emergency systems at nuclear plants uh, to provide emergency cooling should there be a power failure. And these four have failed since April, which is an unusual cluster that has attracted the attention of federal inspectors and could prompt the industry to re-examine its maintenance plans. Gee, you think that's a good idea? The diesel generators serve the critical function of supplying electricity to cooling systems that prevent a nuclear plant's hot radioactive fuel from overheating, melting, and potentially releasing radiation into the environment. The problem that happened in Fukushima was that the plants there lost all backup power for its cooling system after a combination of the earthquake, which was the initial instigator of the accident, uh, followed by the flooding of the tsunami. Here in the United States, three diesel generators failed after tornadoes ripped across Alabama and knocked out electric lines serving the Tennessee Valley Authority's Browns Ferry nuclear plant. This was in April. Another generator failed in the North Anna plant in Virginia following the August earthquake. Generators have not worked when needed in at least a dozen other instances since 1997, either because of mechanical failures or because they were offline for maintenance. Now, to put this in perspective, it is considered by the officials, by the NRC, that a single generator failure is not a calamity. All reactors have at least one backup generator and sometimes more. If the diesel generators fail, nuclear plants can run safely all, it can run safety gear off batteries for hours or use steam-driven pumps to keep the cooling water flowing. But the loss of all emergency power, including diesels, is a crisis. So in the U.S., on average, roughly one diesel generator has failed when needed each year since 1997. Now I ask you, if you were in an airplane that had mm, two engines and one failed, would you consider that dangerous? Even if you were in a plane that had four engines and one failed, do you think you might be concerned? Just giving a little bit of perspective on this. Now, according to Gerald McCoy, an NRC Nuclear Regulatory Commission branch chief who oversees federal inspectors at the plant, uh, this is at North Anna, quote, we are concerned with the fact that diesels have, are having issues, and that could very well be the subject of future inspections. Gee, you think, Mr. McCoy?
That's the unreal McCoy. And here, just uh, getting away from nuclear reactors, but more nuclear material. Radioactivity was found on two employees in a parking lot and in a private vehicle and in one facility building at Brookhaven National Laboratory. The two employees were checking radiation detectors when a quote-unquote sealed source device containing a small amount of cesium-137 stored inside a lead container tipped over in the employee's pickup truck as they made their rounds. The device was described as a small brass rod about 8 inches long and half an inch across. Now, a small amount, 3.4 millirems, uh, was also found on one of the workers' pants. Lab officials could not immediately explain their 10-day delay in announcing the leak, to which I add, other than they thought they might be able to get away with it, huh? The leak was first reported on Monday by the Long Island Business News. And regarding this low level of radiation, remember again, physicians for social responsibility say no level of radiation is safe. It bioaccumulates. It's all bad. Finally, just this brief one that came from uh, the Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act documents that were released by the NRC. Um, this is in regards to Fukushima. The NRC knew the possibility of elevated thyroid dose in Midway Island and Alaska by March 22nd, and they worked to keep it away from the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, there was something called a bounding plausible analysis uh, which does require a peer review, and it indicated elevated child thyroid in Midway Island and Alaska. This was on March 22nd. Now, the Freedom of Information Act documents have been uh, released as regards Fukushima. This is by the NRC. And, of course, with the usual government uh, oversight, realize that word means two things, overlooking or overseeing. I think this is overlooking. But with their, their usual sense of organization and care, the documents were all garbled up. There were no particular order. There were duplicates. It was very difficult to search. So they have been reorganized into a much more searchable database and this can be found on um, Dr. Helen Caldicutt's site, Nuclear Free Planet. Uh, if you search FOIA, you're going to find it there. I will also have the direct link posted on the Nuclear Hot Seat site on Facebook. So just go to Facebook, enter in Nuclear Hot Seat. It will take you there. You will get the link, and then you can go directly to the uh, Freedom of Information Act documents. Those are still being gone over by a lot of people literally around the world. You can join with them, and let's see what we can discover. Now for the health tip this week. As we've been seeing, the risk of cancer increases with exposure to radiation. So anything you can do holistically to make your body more resistant to cancer is a good thing. And I am going to be focusing on these issues in the coming weeks because um, it's important that we all maintain our health and in the least Western medicine ways possible. Uh, I will say as my own disclaimer, I am not a medical professional. I am simply an interested and informed consumer. And uh, any information I provide here is for informational purposes only. I am not giving you any medical information. Talk to your doctor, blah, blah, blah. Take what you need and leave the rest. Okay, that's taken care of. My lawyer is now happy. 
so one of the things that has been shown is that cancer, when it happens in the body, the body is always in an acid condition. So one of the ways to make your body more resistant to cancer is to make it more alkaline. Uh, one book that I read that was excellent about all the different ways to create an alkaline environment in the body is called The Body Ecology Diet. And it's written by Donna Gates, uh, spelled G-A-T-E-S, just like Bill Gates, no relation. And the book is focused on controlling candida in the body, which is a systemic yeast. We're not concerned specifically with that there, but know that the entire book is focused on the foods and the beverages that you can take in that are going to make your body more resistant, more alkaline, and thus more resistant to a wide range of illnesses. Uh, I eat primarily the way suggested by this uh, diet, except when I fall into wheat and sugar at the same time. Um, but for the most part, I follow this, and uh, it is excellent for health. It also helps with weight loss, uh, mental clarity, all kinds of things that I have personally experienced. You can try it and find out if it works for you as well. Anyway, the book is The Body Ecology Diet by Donna Gates. And uh, next week I'll talk about uh, a drink that you can make that will help your body achieve an alkaline state, uh, or at least more alkaline than it currently is. Finally, here's the activist opportunity, and it is gorgeous. I'm here in Southern California, and if you are able to get to the city of San Clemente this evening, do so. Because there's going to be the second of two hearings in front of the San Clemente City Council, and their their interested uh, groups around them, regarding the nuclear reactors at San Onofre. Now, initially, this was supposed to be a single hearing that would have the NRC representatives, the the, the numbnuts, rubber stamp commission numbnuts, uh, facing off with uh, some of our people. But uh, there was political manipulation around that that split us into two separate events. So they had their say two weeks ago. Tonight, we get our say. And what a lineup it is. By live teleconferencing, the city of San Clemente sitting government is going to be hearing from Dr. Helen Caldecott and by Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Associates. In addition, Dan Hirsch of the Committee to Bridge the Gap is going to be there live. Now, each of these three people are world-class experts in their fields about nuclear radiation, nuclear energy, the problems of the nuclear industry, the whole shebang. We could not have three better people standing up for our side. This is going to be taking place tonight, Tuesday, October 11th, at 6.30 p.m. at the San Clemente Community Center, which is located at 100 North Calle Seville in San Clemente. We will be gathering there at 5.30, and like I said, I have to be on the road very shortly so that I can miss the traffic and be there in time for the 5.30 gathering and then the 6.30 main event. Uh, I will, of course, have interviews and also additional information to give you the complete story next week on Nuclear Hot Seat. So doing the nuclear math, this is day 214, 214, for each of the three melted-down nuclear reactors at Fukushima Daiichi. That means there have been 642 nuclear leak days since Fukushima began. We are closing in on two years of steady radiation release into the air and into the water, and there's no end yet. 
Now, as I remind people every week, Chernobyl was encased in a sarcophagus, and the magnitude of the event was stopped by day 10. And yet, it has all this toxicity all these years later. So going by that lump of time alone, 10 days for Chernobyl, if you divide Fukushima by Chernobyl, you get the equivalent of over 64 Chernobyls. I'll say that again. Over 64 Chernobyls happening in Fukushima so far. The number will be higher next week. What a world, what a world. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, October 11th, 2011. Next week we will be back to our usual format, and I'm going to have a wonderful interview for you uh, with Barbara. My apologies, I forget her last name, an anti-nuclear activist from Northern California who will give us all kinds of fascinating information. Now, you can find Nuclear Hot Seat and links to previous programs by going to NuclearHotSeat.com or on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page. That's actually where the majority of the information is showing up these days. If you want to make sure you never miss a single podcast, you can go to iTunes and subscribe for free so you don't have to miss us even once. Just go to the main page, click on Podcast, do a search for Nuclear Hot Seat, boom, there we are. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, and I'm about to jump in the car and be on my way to San Clemente. But still, I'm taking this moment to remind you that we have all had our nuclear wake-up call now. Don't go back to sleep. Be well, be safe. I will talk with you again next week. Bye-bye.